Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. Uh, this is going to be episode number seven, and this episode is going to be called Shaman as Superstar. Um, the reason I'm making this episode is because hmm, there's a few reasons for it. It's something I've been thinking about for a while, mostly because of the way that the notion of shamanism has become synonymous with uh, psychedelics. And it is completely a misrepresentation of both what shamanism is and what the potential of psychedelics are. Now, um, Almost everybody who's involved with psychedelics now, especially people who use ayahuasca, think that there is shamanism as a prerequisite for having psychedelic experiences. And this isn't true at all. In fact, the only prerequisite for having transformative psychedelic experiences is your capacity to experience levels of consciousness that are transformative in your relationship to your life. And nobody is required for that experience. Nobody is going to come flying into your consciousness and navigate this experience for you. That is a fairy tale. And it's a children's fairy tale. Um, I had the good fortune of being able to uh, get a degree in religious studies. And also, while I was at the California Institute of Integral Studies, one of the people I got to study with and befriend was a guy named Michael Harner, who was an anthropologist who had gone down to the Amazon in the 1950s and 60s. And he had done ayahuasca down there. 
And he also, so he'd written a couple books, one which was called The Way of the Shaman, which is the way that shamanism became part of the vernacular of Western culture. Earlier, uh, Mircea Eliade, who had been this religious uh, scholar in at the University of Chicago, he had written a book called Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy, where he had historically studied shamanism. So before there was this kind of renaissance of interest in psychedelics, um, there was an interest in shamanism um, as a religious technique uh, and, and shamans as uh, religious leaders and cultures. Now, in almost every culture where they had shamanism, they did not have psychedelics. Um, that is a very recent development. Um, and it's partly because people like to think that there is an exotic other out there in the world that knows something about primordial experience that Westerners don't know. And there is a lot that Westerners don't know um, that, that is primarily the result of an ego-driven consciousness that obfuscates the nature of reality. And in our culture right now, um, with its emphasis on social networks, on the persona that's presented digitally, on Facebook and Instagram and all those platforms, it does move our consciousness further and further and further away from its primordial origins, which are not based in the experience of our ego structure, in the ego we've created to navigate our families and our friends and our social environments. That is all a real thing. Um, and the reason that shamanism becomes so attractive in this desert is because it was designed originally, it, it sprung up archetypally in environments where there was a lot of uncertainty and chaos in environments where you didn't know what the weather was going to be like in the coming days and a big storm and a big freeze could be fatal to members of a clan. It also dealt with the uncertainty of food, of not knowing when the next food would, would appear in hunter-gatherer cultures. It, was it going to be days? Was it going to be weeks? And in not understanding the science of the seasons and being connected to a more primordial sense of when spring was coming or when summer was, was waning or when uh, storms were coming. Or that was all something that was required for survival in... Um, in earlier times and Facebook wasn't required for that media wasn't required for that experts on culture were not necessary for that 
And so as we head into a more chaotic sense of our times, the notion of having people who see through the chaos and the confusion into the primordial meaning of things becomes more and more attractive. Now, Michael Harner, who, who, like I said, I had the good fortune to know, when I knew him, it was the early 90s, and he wasn't really that interested in psychedelics anymore. He had written, even he had, like I said, he had written The Way of the Shaman, and he had also written another book called Hallucinogens and Shamanism. But what he was doing was he was reteaching shamanic techniques to cultures where they had lost touch with their shamanism because it had gotten bulldozed by modern life. So cultures in Siberia, um, cultures in Central Asia, and even in Native American cultures where what, what replaced sort of archaic techniques of, of insight and um, prediction and being able to listen to our dreams and being able to sense what was going on in the collective was basically alcohol. And to this day, that's what's still there. So what Michael Harner was interested in was he was interested in reteaching these techniques that had been lost. And mostly what these uh, techniques were and almost never were psychedelics was drumming, chanting, and meditating. And even the word shaman, which uh, people like to think is something that comes out of the Amazon, isn't a word that comes out of the Amazon. It's a word that probably comes out of Chinese, meaning Buddhist monk or Buddhist ascetic, and then spread across Central Asia. And so what Harner was interested in and what, what real shamanism is, it's reconnecting with the primordial origins of your consciousness, the, the parts of your consciousness that are not identified with your identity, with your history, with who your parents were, with how they made you feel, with what they taught you or didn't teach you, with the limitations of culture, which doesn't really teach you anything except the mean. And I know I've spoken about that before. And it had very little to do with psychedelics and it had very little to do with empowering somebody else for your salvation. It was about putting you, it was about democratizing the powers of healing of the deep psyche and making it available to everybody. Now, one of the reasons that um, we hear a lot about shamanism in the culture now with psychedelics is because of ayahuasca culture. And I can assure you that ayahuasca culture is a brand new thing. It was provided by uh, business people in the Amazon. You know, and when... Terrence McKenna and his brother went looking for ayahuasca in the 80s in the Amazon. They couldn't find it anywhere. 
There were no centers. There was nowhere to find shaman. There was, there was nothing. They couldn't find it. They ended up, what they ended up doing was picking wild psilocybin mushrooms. And that's how they had their psychedelic experiences. They had read of William Burroughs having ayahuasca experiences in the Yahai papers in the 50s. And so they went in search of it and they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it anywhere. And the reason people can find it now is because an economy has been built where people expect to find ayahuasca in the jungle and they expect to have shamans delivering it and navigating their psychedelic experiences for them, serving as the ship's captain on their psychedelic journey. And that is really a bunch of nonsense. That's actually childish nonsense. That's people looking for a father or a mother that they, that, 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 they don't have within themselves. You know, one of the really funny, um, I think I saw a TEDx uh, speech and it was this guy, Graham Hancock, who's written a bunch of historical novels, and not historical novels, historical books about lost civilizations and, you know, what psychedelics can do and what they can't do. And his, his whole TEDx talk was about how he was basically a wake and bake stoner, dawn to dusk, smoking enormous amounts of pot for years, which I kind of feel is where a lot of his work came from. And then he talks about how he did ayahuasca and mama ayahuasca came to him and said, stop smoking pot. And that was the big realization of his of his uh, psychedelic experience was Mama Ayahuasca visited upon him and said, you should stop smoking pot. Now, for some reason, uh, it hadn't occurred to him to stop smoking pot on his own. The fact that he was buying enormous amounts of it and smoking enormous amounts of it and his relationships were suffering and his work was suffering. He needed Mama Ayahuasca to come visit him, to tell him to stop doing it. And it's too bad his mom couldn't have told him that because if she could have, he wouldn't have needed to go in search of mama ayahuasca. And the other day I was reading about a center in the Amazon that was basically set up by a criminal and all of the failings of the place and how they treat the staffs and how many people had been hurt there. And it's all praying I think the place is, I know what the place is called. It's called Rhythmia. It comes up on my Facebook all the time, no matter how many times I block it. And it basically talked about all the transgressions that had been made against the staff, how the founder had pursued people um, and manipulated them and controlled them and sexualized his relationships with them. And basically it's another thing that, emerged out of an economy. It's another thing that emerged out of seeing that, you know what? We can sell Westerners this notion of exotic travel and exotic shamans and exotic psychedelics. And I'm going to make another podcast where I explain that psilocybin is ayahuasca without vomiting. But I'm just going to say that here. And, you know, the... The hunger for primordial knowledge that's not available on CNN or on the web 
or through doctors or through talk show hosts or through podcasts. You know, um, one of the things I saw this week that inspired this this discussion, it was Aaron Rodgers um, talking about using ayahuasca to find self-love. Now, Aaron Rodgers, he hasn't found a relationship that really works. He hasn't had children. His teammates don't really like him that much. You know, his, 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 his favorite receiver elected to go play with someone else this season. But Aaron Rodgers, in the medicine, and he called it the medicine, found um, all the self-love he'd been seeking his whole life. But Aaron Rodgers, you know what he is? He's a guy from Chico, California, who throws a football better than anybody who's ever lived. That's what Aaron Rodgers is. And the, the focus on just throwing a football so well creates a lot of narcissism. And so he's had three or four ayahuasca ceremonies that he's been to. And now he's talking about it all the time. He's talking about the medicine. And the thing about psychedelics is psychedelics are not medicines. Psychedelics don't require shamans. And you know why that is? Is because every single one of us has deeper layers of consciousness, deeper levels of consciousness that are profound and healing and supportive that transcend life and death. And if we get access to those parts in ourselves, they will solve problems because the parts that are problemed of ourselves are the parts that are transitory, that have been designed and constructed and architected out of our suffering and our pain and our neglect. And beneath that, is a whole level of existence that is pure and strong and powerful and transformative. And you don't need anyone to help you navigate that. Dreaming is a shamanic experience because when you dream, you get informed of things that are occurring outside the awareness of your ego. That's why they're weird because they don't speak in the language of your ego. You know, a lot of people lose interest in dreams because they don't talk to them like regular people talk to them. They don't have the logic that their ego has. It's not constructed out of cause and effect. It's trying to make you aware of layers of your consciousness that you are not aware of and trying to get those to be integrated into your sense of yourself. Psychedelics do the exact same thing. You know, I've helped a lot of people with psychedelics and none of it has been about my helping them navigate, me having some mystical capacity to navigate their consciousness, to bring them to a place where they can have realizations. The only thing that I need to do, and this is because I know this because I'm trained as a therapist, because I, I, I had an education, was if you put people in a safe space, they will self-correct. They will find parts of themselves that are healing and whole and precede their traumas and their suffering. 
There's no trick to it other than empathy. And for people to think that what's required for their healing is headdresses and songs in a foreign language and rattles and vomiting and diarrhea and being around the suffering of other people is absolutely absurd. It is the end of intelligence. To think that somebody else possesses something within them that can help them that can more than you can help you and that they can help you more than you can help you is absurd. Now, to some, Donald Trump has a shamanic personality because there's chaos in the world and there's a changing demographic in the culture and things are not like they used to be. And an old-fashioned racist bully creates order and when people think look for shamans or shamanic personalities they're looking for somebody to create order in their experience that doesn't exist there because they haven't created it and you don't need somebody to be from a foreign culture you don't need somebody to confuse you further with their understanding of you. You just need to access the depths of your being. And you need to do that in a safe space with somebody who's safe. There's nothing further to it. There's no medicine. There's no shaman. There's no travel, you know, people flying to the Amazon to do ayahuasca, whoever they are, it burns carbon like crazy when they can have the same experience in their living room using psilocybin, the same exact experience because either place they are, whether they're by a river, whether they're by the Amazon river with birds chirping or they're in their living room with their eyes closed, they're still going to be inside themselves. They're still going to be dealing with the contents of their psyche. They're still going to be encountering their own unconscious. It doesn't matter. It's so unenvironmental to go to the Amazon to have psychedelic experiences. It's beyond stupid. It's beyond uncaring. And part of the chaos that is occurring right now Part of what makes shamanism so appealing to people is the environment and how unstable it is and wondering about how unstable it's going to become and how affecting that's going to be of everyday life. Who can see into that and let us know where does it end? Does it end with everything being on fire? Does it end with there not being enough food? Does it end with emerging diseases that we have no uh, solution for? Does it end with cannibalism? 
That's what people want to know. That's why shamanism is so, so fascinating to people because it deals with the same chaos that a, Amer- a Native American living on the plains in the depths of frozen winter faces wondering when they're going to get fed again, when the buffalo are going to return and be able to be hunted and eaten. So... See the chaos. See that chaos isn't answered on social media. There's no other reality coming. There's no meta reality coming by, from Mark Zuckerberg that's going to make reality better. Reality is what we're encountering every day, and it doesn't have a headline like the Drudge Report or CNN or Huffington Post does. You got to figure out what it means and you got to figure out your place in it and you got to figure out where you are on the continuum of birth and death. You know, I know people who have psychedelic experiences and they bum out on how old they are and how much time they have left. And that's another thing, the uncertainty of life and death. How much longer do I have? What's going to happen when my body deteriorates and I can't be physical anymore. And that's another foundation of shamanism, that there's a reality that's non-physical that I can explore. And that's true. And you can do that with meditation. You can do that with dreaming. You can do that with a lot of things besides psychedelics. But psychedelics will let you know that too. And quantum physics will let you know that 96% of reality is non-physical. So all you're going to figure out with your senses is a small percentage of reality. And our biome is a small percentage of reality. So whether it lasts or whether it deteriorates or whether there's mass extinctions or whether I die or you die, consciousness, which is the origination of everything, it will continue. It may not continue as me, It may not continue as you. It may not continue physically, but it will continue. And once you realize that every experience that you have is animated by this origination, by this original consciousness, and doesn't require you, and doesn't require your memories and your sense of yourself, And what you perceive as your limitations and your fears and your discomforts, you're going to have a more expansive experience of life that isn't going to be mitigated or mediated by anybody. And that's what everybody's looking for. So see shamanism, this interest in shamanism, these medicine men and these medicine women that everybody declares that they are after their third or fourth experience on ayahuasca. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor man and a metaphor woman. People who are trying to see through the veil of physical reality into a larger meaning and into their own origination. And none of us requires anybody to help us do this. We all have this capacity. So it's important to develop this capacity in yourself 
and to not disempower yourself by giving other people the capacity to do this for you. It's important that you recognize that you have this capacity in your consciousness and nobody can give it to you except you. And nobody ever will be able to do that. So let's all be a little more distinguishing uh, and have more clarity about what we're looking for in ourselves. And we won't need to seek this in other people. And in the culture, we won't need to call people shamans and say, I'm shaman this or I'm shaman that. And actually be properly um, aware that if people are presenting themselves that way, they're trying to fill a role in other people's lives. That people should be inhabiting themselves. All right, this has been Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dream Time. Um, you can check me out at www.goingquantum.org. And you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts for High Tide in the Dream Time that helps drive listeners to this podcast, which I always appreciate. I always appreciate you guys listening to these podcasts, giving me a place to discuss things that are important to me. And uh, I will look forward to speaking to you guys when I am again inspired. Stay